Welcome back to Power Hour, the Athletics Tuesday National College Football Podcast, hosted by yours truly, Nicole Auerbach. I am thrilled, as always, on a Tuesday to be joined by my friend and colleague, Michael Felder from Stadium, to break down the biggest storylines in college football in an hour or less. And if you enjoy our podcast, you probably enjoy all the podcasts on this very feed. So be sure to subscribe, rate, and review The Andy Staples Show and Friends. Five stars because... Ari Wasserman will get really mad at you if you don't give us five stars. Um, and and Felder, five stars were actually some of the the story coming out of the the semifinals is that the teams that have a lot of them seem to be very good at football. Wow, uh, uh, amazing that the, the teams that are good are good. <laughs> the teams that have the most talent are good. Like it just, I mean, we I know we don't want to belabor the point, but you know what? The one thing here's I know we're gonna we're gonna go quick on the semifinals, but I'm gonna say this. Excuse me, Georgia, yes, they have a supreme talent level, but we need to give those guys credit because they watch film and they study and they're smart. And I don't know how many people have said that about them. They've said the talent differential and talked about the speed on the field, but they need credit for being smart. Those are intelligent football players. Those are guys that understand exactly what's going to happen to them, understand exactly what the offense is going to try to do. And case in point, with two minutes to go in the first quarter, N'Kobe Dean, they are in man coverage. N'Kobe Dean gets flexed out against Blake Corum. Corum goes in motion, and then N'Kobe Dean runs it down. And it's a play that should go for at least eight yards. And he sucks it down to negative two. Unbelievable. And then the same thing goes with the Cade McNamara sack that he had where on the field you can see N'Kobe Dean going over, 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 over. He knows what the motion's going to be, and he knows he's exchanging responsibilities with the linebacker on the other side. You take him in man time, I don't have to run over. I'm going to go, I'm going to add myself to the mix. And then he ends up with a sack because Michigan thought they were being sneaky with a play action. And guess what? Cade McNamara is laying on the ground. So I just, I, I just think that these guys' intelligence should be lauded, should be applauded, and should be acknowledged. Yes, and also both of those moments, but especially the Blake Corum play, cemented, backed up my belief that I've been saying, at least since the midpoint of the season, that Nicobe Dean, I think, is Georgia's best player. I know, you know, Jordan Davis was getting a lot of the, the buzz. Was people were trying to figure out, like, if we vote for someone, <laughs> for the Heisman on this defense, who do we vote for? He is phenomenal as well. But Nicobe Dean is the, the straw that stirs the drink on that defense. And he is just, he is phenomenal. So I am excited to see, you know, certain elements of the rematch. And we'll get into that in, in a second. But I do want to start with the news of the day on Monday, which is pretty massive. And this is Caleb Williams entering the transfer portal in a very interesting way. There were a couple different interesting things that happened about this. So so for, you know, recap, he's the Oklahoma quarterback who came in, saved the day, led the big comeback. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. There we go. We're talking, we're talking <laughs> cream of the crop today on this show. Comes in, saves the day uh, against Texas, right? That was the, yes. the big comeback. So he supplants Spencer Rattler as Oklahoma's starting quarterback. 
puts up insane numbers in, in the limited amount of games he plays in. We're all thinking, okay, this is, you know, obviously a guy to watch. This is someone who is going to be, you know, in the Heisman conversation, radars, like this is a really special quarterback. He's the one that the fans chanted, we want Caleb, when Spencer Rattler was struggling. All of those things happened in season. So Lincoln Riley bolts for USC. Spencer Rattler goes to South Carolina Brent Venables comes to Oklahoma and is piecing together his staff right now. And everyone's, you know, kind of waiting to see what's going to happen with, with Caleb Williams. Is he going to follow Riley, you know, what, et cetera, et cetera. And what he does on Monday is puts out an announcement explaining that he is entering the transfer portal, but he could still stay at Oklahoma, which is actually very smart. You know, he's literally saying, I want to see what my options are, but people can't contact me until I make this this step of, of going into the portal and he hadn't done it yet what was fascinating in the aftermath of this was Oklahoma puts out a statement from their athletic director and head coach basically a public plea to stay but in a very kind of formal way about how much they appreciate him and his value, but also how much value Oklahoma could bring to him and that they believe like that is the right place for him. Never seen anything like that. So do you I think, guess we're going to see stuff like this now. Well, I guess that's the thing is, do you think that that was a public plea to stay? Cause yes. to me, cause for me, when I read it, it felt like if you stay, we can have some success, but if you have to go, go. I think that's what they were going for. Right. And I, they were going for like that middle of the road, but I think it was, you don't do that unless you want the guy to play, stay. And he's that important that the athletic director is, is tied into this. Cause, cause my thing is if they just didn't care and he was out and they also felt like he was out, it would have, it would have just said like, we thank you for everything right, you right. did in your one year here. But you listen, you're, you're, you're a Michigan, you're a, you're, you're, a, you're a Michigan man. Like, Michigan woman, w- woman. I can be a Michigan man. That's fine. Like, That's fine. What's the, the whole idea? What is it like? Those who stay will be champions, or whatever it is. Isn't yes. that a Michigan thing? Yes. And I think that that to me, like that was my takeaway, was the idea of those who stay will be champions. If you want to leave, leave. But if you stay here, we will help grow you into what you want to be. Yes. No, and I agree. And I think that that is the line they were trying to straddle. Okay. I'm saying, like, here's what I interpreted. I got it. But they had to do it that way, the way that you're describing, because they're still I'm just, upset I'm about. I'm, I, no, 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 no. They're just they're still upset about Lincoln Riley's yes. departure and the way it went down. So there's been a lot of messaging about how no one is bigger than the program. Mm-hmm. No one person is bigger than the yes. program. And people who stay and build are like what they're looking for. So like that's where they have to they have right. to balance that because he is the one one key cog, right? He's very important, but he's a they've key been cog. trying to say that he is just a key that no everyone is just a key cog. So I think that that like gray area was was part of it. I just thought it was fascinating that we saw something public about that it's kind of like a couple weeks ago Wyoming put out a statement being like hey we're up we want to transfer quarterback like and they just put that out there publicly I mean this is the portal is is leading to some very interesting scenarios with quarterbacks this year and the one-time transfer rule but I I I do want to get into a little bit about why Caleb Williams would want to look elsewhere if every single program in the quarterback except maybe like two would be interested in adding him 
and like is like where his his situation would be best because he is considering staying and that could very well be the outcome here um you know where like where do you see this this going after a bunch of phone calls maybe even visits for Caleb Williams so I, I, I think there are three things to consider right so one is going to be how can I get to the NFL and I think that's the the big that's the easiest answer which is pretty much anywhere if you're if, as long as you play well that's the one you have the most control over but you also need to be taught and need to learn because this is something and we've talked about this on the show. He has so far to go in terms of learning how to play quarterback. Excuse me. And that's what we saw Oklahoma state do to him. That's what we saw uh, a couple other, we saw teams force him out of his comfort zone and he had a problem with it. So I think that's one. One is how do I get to the NFL? How do I become the best? How do I become the best college quarterback I can become? And I think there's a lot of different places to go. The second part of that is, the, or the number two for me, is about winning, right? Winning a national championship, going to a national championship. And can you do that at Oklahoma? Yeah, I think you can. Is it going to be easier if you go somewhere else? Maybe. If you go to Georgia? Sure. Sure. If you end up at... Um, what if it's USC? Harder? Well, easier? USC feels about the same to me. And then the third one is, do you want to play for Brent Venables? And I wrote this in the doc, because I think, and I think this is important. Venables, did they have talent at Clemson? Absolutely. But Venables works with his guys, including his own sons, he treats everyone like 10 knockers, right? These are pipe fitters. You do your job. You get what you get and you don't get upset. And is that the atmosphere that Williams wants to be in, right? And I think that's important. I think it's a great way to be because otherwise we don't see the rise of James Skalski. We don't see the rise of Nolan Turner. We don't see, we don't see guys getting benched in a national championship game for freelancing, right? We don't see Tanner Muse get benched in a national championship game because he freelanced. Because Brent Venables wants you to check every single box. And everyone's going to point to the draft picks and all those things, but those draft picks got to there because Venables was like, you're Cleveland Farrell. You're going to have to do everything. Christian Wilkinson, you're going to have to do everything. Christian Wilkins, excuse me. You're going to have to do everything. And... All of you guys are going to have to do everything that you have to do. Like, you have to do everything. And if you're not going to check every single box, whether it's every workout, every meeting, being good on the whiteboard, being good on the field, understanding that sometimes you're not going to be the guy that gets the sack. And I think he's – I don't know how that translates to a guy that now is going to also be in charge of offense. Offense is a completely different beast. But – Obviously, Dylan Gabriel is now going to Oklahoma, right? Don't think that there's a bigger, with the exception of what, like McKenzie Milton? Don't think there's a guy that's had a bigger come up than, than Gabriel. I remember talking about him as a recruit when he was going to Army. And then went to UCF and then obviously exploded. So I just think that He's going to, Venables is going to make you check every box and you have to want that. You have to want to be a part of that. And that's not a thing that Clemson had offensively, 
but it certainly is a thing that they had defensively with respect to Venables. Mentioning Dylan Gabriel is uh, is an interesting example of this too, because I think obviously this has been building. It's been a lot of quarterbacks in the portal. We've talked mm-hmm. a lot about that position in particular, and Gabriel in like a span of what was it, 19 days committed to UCLA yeah. and then just flipped it to, to Oklahoma. Yes. Now people are wondering, you know, what will be offered? What will be, what opportunities would Caleb Williams have other places? Like, you know, all the, the pearl clutching about like name, image and likeness mm-hmm. deals or whatever. But this idea of, of really actual free agency one time, because you know, then you, you, you get to play right away. The one, one time, mm-hmm. one transfer, but so it's not like these quarterbacks can do it year in and year out. Um, I guess if you graduated, you know, in a couple sure. of years, you'd get a second one. But, like, it's, it's, it's a one-time deal. And you're seeing it happen in a lot of these situations like Caleb Williams after a coaching change. Yep. So this was a head coaching change. You've had people do it after coordinators. All these different things that was, are basically why they added it. Because coaches were moving freely. Mm-hmm. Because of the power dynamic. And people are, you know... I, I see I see two schools of thought. One's like, good, this is exactly what was supposed to happen in this world. Like, you know, this is players have been kind of stuck at places after coaching changes with their coaches making ten million dollars. They're allowed to leave for greener pastures or for whatever reason. And the players have this major penalty of sitting for a year. Mm-hmm. It's hard, you know, if you're in classes, you have friends, all these different things, which still exist as as barriers. For sure. And then there's lots of other people who are saying, you know, this is what's bad with college football, whatever, right? Old school, new school. Where, where do you stand on this? I mean, I, I don't know if it's going to be this, you know, kind of um, omnipresent every single season. Like, this is the first full off season with the rule change. There's COVID eligibility, extra eligibility kind of floating around in a lot of places. Like, what, what do you make of this This really, this really, actual era of, of free agency? I mean, we've used the term for different things, but, but we're actually there with the one-time transfer and especially the quarterback position being so influential. Um, what school of thought do you have? Uh, so here's a, this is the way I think about it. One, I think quarterbacks are – I'm not going to sit here and call them unicorns because I think that that is garbage. Like, the idea that they are above everything else and everybody else just kind of deals with it. I think that I think quarterbacks are unique with respect to they only one can play. And honestly, for all the praise that we heap on them, they can only do one thing. Is that one thing important? Sure. But they can only do one thing. They're not a running back that can move to a slot that can change to that can play special teams. Right. So they can only do one thing, a thing. They're not a defensive back that can become a linebacker that can play special teams and help you out. So they can only do one thing. And that one thing, that one skill is valuable because of the way that football has become officiated, viewed, obviously even shot. The way that they shoot football is quarterback-focused, is quarterback-centric. So there is this inflated element of I have to go because I have to play. And when you can only play one guy – the guy who's not going to play has to find somewhere else to play. The problem is going to be, and this is to extrapolate it to the entire transfer portal, somebody's got to find some some landing spots. There's you got Somebody's going to have to find some landing spots, and that's not going to be easy. And they're not always going to be good. And 
but I think if you're willing to take the risk, you you accept the whether it's the penalty is not the right word. You accept the consequences of what comes with it, and that's the reality of the situation. I I am glad that you mentioned that transferring is hard. Whether that's leaving a girlfriend or leaving friends, your your credit's not transferring to another school. Oh my goodness, <laughs> like. Oh, I'm a I'm a junior. I'm about to graduate in in winter. Oh, I'm a sophomore now because this school doesn't take my credits and doesn't have the program that I need. I'm screwed. I think that's a part that not a lot of people think about. Um the other part for me is these guys really like most guys when they decide to go to a school it's a common, there's a combination and, and, and you've, you've been around college football for a long time. So, so correct me if I'm wrong, but most guys, when they decide to go play football at a school, they like the coaching staff. They like the other players. They like the guys in their recruiting class. And then sometimes that can get flipped on a head, right? Whether a coach leaves or it wasn't what you thought it was. You grow, whether it's you grow up or something happens to you specifically that oh, doesn't happen to everybody else or whatever it is, and that can change how you feel about things. And so I just think to, to, to play college football is to live in that state. Like, I'll, I'll, I, I'm not going to put anybody else's name on anything. I'm going to put my name on it. When I was at UNC, I got there. My coach left by because he got fired. Uh, and he probably should have been fired because we were 117th in defense. And there were only 117 teams at that point. We are bad. And they brought in, and I don't mean head coach. I mean my position coach and our defensive coordinator. And then we brought in new guys, uh, John Gunkus and Marvin Sanders. They changed the defense to things I can't do. And I could have left, I could have transferred, but I liked being at UNC a lot. And so I had to change what my expectations are. And I think that that's a big part of what we're doing is we have to either help guys change expectations with new coaching staffs or allow them to leave. So we're allowing them to leave. I do wonder how they're changing expectations with what happens. I went from you'll be on Scully your second year to, oh, you're never going to play because you can't get into the deep half. I was like, yeah, but I can get into the hook to curl, the curl to flat. They're like, yeah, but we don't need you to do that anymore. <laughs> so it just, I'm, I'm going around, my, going around my, my ass to get to my elbow, but the reality of it is is just that it's about expectations. It's about, where guys end up because it's important. Like I, you have, you can't play football if you're not happy. You can't play football if you don't love it. You can't play football if you don't like your circumstances. It's, it's a game that's grueling. It's a game that is, and, and I was thinking about this when I was doing some writing. I was like, we keep calling it a game, right? but how many games can you only do once a week because your entire goal is to assault someone 
and have them assault you. And then you need a break. It's, it's a lot more in line with combat sports, right? MMA, boxing, than it is with basketball or baseball, softball. It's a lot more in line with combat sports because every play, you, like you have to... Offensive players want to score touchdowns. Defensive guys, your entire goal is to... Not just to stop a play, but to deliver some pain to somebody else. And you can't do that if you don't love it. And if you don't love where you are and that makes you not like doing it, it makes it even harder. Makes it a hill to overcome that you don't you shouldn't have to overcome. And I've talked way too long about this, but just basically at the end of the day, the point that I'm making is people guys love football. You have to find somewhere that you want to be at to be able to continue to love the game. And then you got to find a situation that that works for you in terms of scheme, coaching staff, relationships, all those things. That's all. So are you telling me that when Kirk Herbstreet says that guys these days don't love football, you have, you know, some pushback. I mean, (laughs) I do want to talk about that because it became the topic of conversation On a day that we got a thrilling and crazy Rose Bowl, super enjoyable. We had actually quite a few games that day. We were just very fun. It's the best day of the year. Everyone's laying on their couch, nursing a hangover, whatever you're doing, watching college football. And we had to have this conversation, which we've had variations of with different old guard yeah. talking points, which is about opt-outs, and, I mean, I thought we'd gotten past this. It's been, like, five or six years since Christian McCaffrey and Leonard Fournette first did this. They did it, obviously, on low, lower-tier bowls. It was the Sun Bowl and something else. I don't remember. This is the Rose Bowl. I get it. But I also get that, you know, you work for ESPN. ESPN puts on these games, wants the New Year's Six to have their stars. So you already had a Peach Bowl without Kenneth Walker and Kenny Pickett. Mm -hmm. You already had some of these games without these star players. Problem is, I have a few different problems with this. One is ESPN, I wrote a story about this, and they admitted it, that they frame the sport through the playoff too much. They were going to try to do that less this season. But they do a weekly show. The game day talks about it. There's so many reasons that we love college football that are not tied to the playoff, and so many of them have have gone to the back burner because all we talk about are the same few teams every single year, playoff or bust. And then when a player decides to be, yeah, player playoff or bust, it it wasn't the playoff, and act that way, then someone's going to get mad about that when everyone, the ecosystem around the sport is saying that, and then you agree. You know, it bothered me. We don't have that same energy for coaches who leave before bowl games. Um, you know, all this stuff. We don't say that coaches don't love coaching because they get paid to do it, because they get paid a lot of money, because they change jobs based on getting paid more. All of that stuff is really frustrating, and I, I just think it ends up ultimately being insulting to the players who are the product, who are the ones playing the games, and they are smart, and they are aware, and they understand the dynamics. They're playing for $10 million a year coaches now. It's so different than it was 15, 20 years ago, and I think they get all of that. They are aware of all of that. They have agency. There's agency. That's the word. They have agency now, and they're using it, 
And I'm not saying I want guys to opt out. I I would have preferred to watch Kenny Pickett and, and Kenneth Walker. I would have loved to see them have this, this game against each other and cap their careers that way. But I will never fault a player for opting out. And that's the problem. I don't like that people are faulting players for opting out and doing what's best and, and avoiding that risk of injury. Because I don't think you need to be pro-opt-out. You just need to be pro-let the players make their decisions and don't demonize them if they don't want to play. So I'm pro-opt-out. I, I don't mind. Like, I think if you've got something on the line, don't do it. Not worth it. Don't be don't be Jalen Smith, right? Like, don't, don't be that. And so... The reality for me, if you want to play, play. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. It should be, it's it's your body, your choice, right? And I think at the end of the day, um, the the, the issue for me becomes the agency. It's one of, it's, it's, it's a discussion of agency. And people who didn't have agency, well, there's two parallel discussions. There's a discussion of agency where people... The idea that these guys get to make a choice for themselves does, I think it does bother some folks because they never got a chance to make that decision. Does that make sense? Like in my day, we just played and we played and then we always played and we played and we were happy. We got what we got and we just, we were so happy about it. So there's the question of agency, but the other question, and I think this is a bigger one is, and you, you talk, you, you hit on this, right? With, this amplification of the playoff and now makes like when I, God, I hate to say when I was growing up because it makes me sound like an old fuddy duddy, but you're just happy to get to a bowl, any bowl, whatever bowl. And so that's fine. But when you have every year, people tell you that this bowl game is meaningless, that, Nobody cares if you don't get to the playoff. playoff. There's also more. There's also more bulls. Yes. So there's more. There by default, there's going to be more of those right. that you're describing. But when media people are saying it's a meaningless bowl game, when people, we and football is people's favorite television show. Like if you can't get jazzed up about Oklahoma State in the way that they played that man coverage this year unless they make it to the playoff, then you don't give a, you don't care about this sport. If you think Cincinnati doesn't belong because they lost to Alabama and you're not excited for the fact that they've got a couple guys that are going to get picked really early in the draft and they play a really aggressive and they had some big wins against Alabama in man coverage. But your main takeaway is shouldn't have had him in there. Should have put Notre Dame in. Which I wanted to see Notre Dame. Okay, okay. What, what are we doing? And I just, I don't know. I'm, I feel like I'm in some kind of like weird zone just because all the stuff that I really like about this sport, the reason I, the re, well, I'll put it, I'm going to put this out on Front Street right now. The reason why I cover college football, the reason why I don't do, NFL stuff is because I love this game. And the reason I love this game is it's not, I don't give a, I don't care about the marching band. I don't care about stadiums. I don't care about fans. I don't care about any of that stuff. What I care about are the players, the schemes, and 
how they make it work. There's a shared experience that I've had with these people. I love them, and they love this game. And if that's not the part that gets you jazzed up, then maybe you need to find another hobby. Does that make sense? It does, but I but I also think that there's there's like it's not just that or like you only care about the playoffs. No, no, I'm not I'm not because devaluing. I'm not I'm not trying to devalue like people that like the pageantry and the 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 rivalry game. Yeah, I I, lo- I love I, I love the pageantry. I love all that I stuff. I know you do. I just I'm but I'm I just what I'm saying is, is like the reason why, like I could do what I do and do it for the NFL, but I do what I do for college because I think that these guys, I try to spotlight as many guys as I can because there's so much, there are so many small intricacies to this game that are worth falling in love with. And to hear someone who's a major voice in the sport say that these guys don't love the game because they opt out, to hear people say that those bowl games don't matter, to hear someone say that the, that, 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 um, that like it's, it's playoff or, but like to hear all the, it's a, you're, it's a failure. There are, there are, I mean, people are like, you know, you lose week one, week two seasons over. Yes. Clemson. That, That stuff, Clemson, that stuff is, is not what, like what bothers me about this era of the playoff is that in a year where the Rose Bowl is not a semifinal, so like this year, yep. going to the Rose Bowl, making a you know a prestigious bowl, it, it's still not viewed as a successful season. Right. Like it used to, you know, if if Iowa won ten games and went to a Rose Bowl, that used to be like you know a cherry on the top of a great season. Yes. It used to it used to, it used to mean something, and now the. And again, this is a product of the playoff. This is a product of the way that we talk about it. It's the way yeah. the players think about it. But the bowl games that are New Year's Six games, and if it's not a team that's never made one before, those are the games where we're talking about. It's a major letdown. All the, you know, you've seen a number of teams just totally like kind of lay an egg in these games before because it just, it's not, it, it's a marker of failure now. Yeah. I mean, I, and yeah, you're that's right. the problem. That's the problem. And this, this is why, again, if you expand the playoff and you have more teams that have something to play for at the end, I think it fixes some of these overall or overarching issues. You just rolled your eyes. You don't think that it addresses some of this? No, I mean, we've seen some. I, I just, I think it addresses what you're talking about in terms of more people will play. I think the entertainment value goes up. But to ask guys to put extra bodies on their extra games on their bodies and to and not get paid and, and NIL is great, but they're not still not getting paid. And to the football's not gonna the football's not gonna be better. And like to me, I just want I want the football to be better. And expanding the playoff doesn't make these coaches smarter. It doesn't, you know, does that, you know, like it doesn't make them better at anything. It just makes them, it makes it easier for them, and it helps them get, you know, a, a, a bonus, right? Like they're they're locked out of the playoff bonus because they can't be in the top four. But if you make it to the top twelve, now all of a sudden you can get that play, you can get that bonus, even though you didn't do anything better than you've done before. But what do you what do you mean by better? Like what you want? They're not them to try, try different. Th- I mean, like they'd be playing new teams. They'd probably, you know, if you have buys for the top four, you know, five through 12 are probably a lot closer yes, and, agree. and be better games. 
Um, I, like I, I still think that that would be good football. Like th- that would be better than what we're getting. It would be more interesting along the way, even if it is Alabama Georgia at the end. Yeah, I, I can, I can see that. I just, I just, I, I this feels a lot like the early signing period to me, where it's going to make things easier for coaches, and I'm not necessarily in in that camp. Okay, that's fair. Like, I mean, I, I think there's stuff that would, would impact players, but I also think that, but you also, know... If, I, you know what? And I know we're going to talk about Indianapolis anyways, really quick, but this is a great segue into that. Going to a bowl game is fun as hell. If you're not in a pandemic, it's super fun. Especially going to a bowl game that you don't... It doesn't matter if you win or lose. It's, it's a fun time. Whether you go to Disneyland or Disney World or Charlotte Motor Speedway, and every time you raise these stakes, you eliminate all those things. You make it more of a, a business it's trip. It's a business trip, which is leads us to Indianapolis. Take us there. Well, that was another thing that <laughs> happened on Monday was um, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution wrote a headline article about how uh, the championship game was going to be in Indianapolis, and it was cold, expensive. Indianapolis awaits Georgia and Bama fans. Um, and there was I mean, a lot of people had a lot of pushback because, yeah, it's January. Uh, like, everyone's aware of that. We just got our I, first snowstorm. There's snow on the ground here in Chicago. Like, I, I get it. It's it's not the warmest. Sure. But a lot of people push back on Indy basically not being a good destination for this game because, first of all, they have all those you know little tunnelways through the hotels mm-hmm. if you really want to stay inside to get to the game. But it is a great city for big events. There's tons of restaurants, mm-hmm. bars. Everything is walkable. I was just there for the Big Ten Championship. There's a reason that there's always a lot of events there. The Final Four has been there a bunch. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, was just, it, was just, it was just interesting and funny to see the backlash from a lot of people who – probably haven't spent a lot of time right. in Indy, but a lot of people like myself have spent many, many weeks there covering different <laughs> things. And I've got my favorite restaurants, Cafe Pata Chow, the best breakfast spot on the circuit. Um, really good. I went through a stretch where I was in Indy for like four days and I had that for breakfast every day. And then I had uh, Harry and Izzy's and I had the shrimp, the, the St. Elmo's shrimp every night. So my expense report was literally just two restaurants every day for four days. So it was really a life, a life highlight, yeah. but it doesn't really matter for the players. Like to your point, like this yeah. stuff doesn't matter because they're just, they're getting in as late as possible. Like this is not a bowl week. They don't exactly. go for the whole week. They go in for the game and then they leave. And honestly, it's kind of like that for fans too, because yeah, they have like a music concert. They have a couple of events, maybe a fan fest, but it's not a bowl week. And, and I think that some of that gets, gets twisted a little bit when they're figuring out where they want to play these games or whatever it might look like. It, they're supposed to be different. They're not really supposed to be as fun. So, yeah, I mean, the fans can go to a concert, but there's not going to be a million things for the, for the players to do. They're absolutely not getting to run around on, a, like, a speedway and little, like, you know, whatever cars, which looked very fun. NASCARs. Um, they're called NASCARs. Stock cars. Is that what they were? Oh, is that was I didn't know if they got to like be in real yeah, cars. Yeah, because they go in okay. stock cars. You, yeah, you go stock cars okay. around Charlotte Motor Speedway. You're you're okay. you're, you're 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 flying. I did it. It's okay. Great. That one that one looked that looked very fun, but yeah. So like it's this is this is different, and um, also just like 
Indy is a great place for major events. So shout out to Indy. I know it's January. I'm aware. I live in the Midwest. But it is a great city for these types of things, especially when it's not really about like a week-long activities. It doesn't matter for this game. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. Um, Indianapolis is a it's a convention slash business city, right? Like it's it's a city that's built on the idea that you're going to come here, you're going to stay in your you know Marriott, whatever it is. You're going to get to the convention center. You're going to do this and you're going to do that. And then you're going to go home. And that's what it is. So it's easy to get to the airport. It's easy to get home. And it's easy to, it's easy to leave. They've got a bunch of, they got a nice little belt line. You can, you can go around and you can do the whole deal. But for me, thinking about it from the zone of a player, um, thinking about it from the zone of the player is, look, if this is a, this is a business trip. It is a business trip. This you're not here for fun. You're not here for 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 rate. You're not here to to like goodness Greg. Can you imagine they put one of these 340 pound guys in a in a dang F1 car at uh, at, the, at the 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 speedway in Indianapolis? That'd be insane. But like you're not here for any of those things. You're here to win a game. And so. I think it's perfect. I think it's great. I think it helps you stay focused. I think you get in, you get out, and you go home. You celebrate when you get back home. If this was a bowl game, just a bowl game, oh, give me New Orleans, give me Atlanta, give me Miami, give me L.A. We're going out. We're having some fun. But that's not what this is. This is a business trip. So go do, go take care of business. And, and I think that's the interesting part here. I mean, hell, when I was in college, they gave me Charlotte, a city that I was from. And you know what? We destroyed it. But this we is lost. also making me this is this is making me think of uh, the Memphis team that got like basically extra thirty six hours in Hawaii uh, yeah. as well, and the Hawaii Bowl got canceled. Um, it, it's definitely a different trip, and and both of these programs have been at this stage uh alabama is yes. there all the time so they know exactly like how to schedule it how to do it mm-hmm. how to stay in the hotel how to, you know etc cetera, etc cetera. because if you win this game you get to say you're national champion forever it's worth it etc i do want to get back to one other thing on the on the athlete front the player front because that's basically the theme of the show we're talking about um you know what it what it actually is like to be a player in this dynamic. What you know in this in this era of more agency, not just free agency, but having agency. Right. And another major storyline coming out of the weekend was uh, Marcus Williamson, yes. former Ohio State player. So I wanted to talk about that because he had threads about basically about what it's like to be a black college athlete. Mm-hmm. At a program like this, and and when you're not like a star player, yeah. who you know everyone's gonna just kind of treat you. With like your walk with and I on eggshells or something like you're just gonna have the best treatment all the time. I, I thought it was really interesting, and I was just looking at his feed again about um you know he was getting a lot of messages from a lot of people sharing their own experiences. Mm-hmm. Um and you know he's he's basically saying like when you are a recruit and everyone's painting these these beautiful pictures for you. Here's the reality of the situation. Here's how people are going to treat you. Um, here's what changes like, you know, there's some, you know, serious allegations and some of the stuff he was tweeting, but overall the point was if you're a black college athlete, like here is realistically what it's going to feel like. 
And I think that, you know, that was something that I think a lot of former players resonated with. And a lot of these types of sentiments about, you know, other people profiting off of your work and some of the way you get treated, like some of that stuff, I think we don't hear about until way down the line. Like when someone is far removed from it and processes it kind of as an adult. Mm -hmm. But I think, again, this era of athlete is so hyper aware of all these things and, and also understanding that because he has this Twitter platform, he can get a message out. You don't need, you know, a sports information director allowing you to be interviewed. You don't need to track down newspaper reporter after your playing days. Like you have this platform where you can say how you feel about stuff. So I was just curious if that thread sparked anything with you and your teammates, or you saw other former players chiming in about their treatments or again, kind of what, what you were sold versus like what reality actually feels like. Well, we, we have this thing and this is, this is what, uh-oh. Was that your Siri? <laughs> yes, that was my Siri. Okay, sorry. It was the watch. I got, the watch. I got worried it was mine for a second. Um, no, Siri, Siri didn't understand you for a second there. <laughs> so there is this, there's this, everyone, everyone who's ever played college sports, everyone specifically who's played college football, they know this. And they, they exhibit it in the movie, The Program. I'm not sure, if, have you seen The Program? So when Darnell's on his visit, they got the cheerleaders, they got the pom-poms, the band's out. Yay, 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 And then when he shows up to camp, it's just another player ready to just like, basically what we used to always say was, once you sign, they got your ass. Like it's, it's over, dog. Like you go on your visit, you're going to have steak and lobster. And then you go to school and you are going to have, you have a ground beef tacos and chicken every day. It's completely different. So that's not even from a black athlete, white athlete. Like that's just what the reality of it is, is that once you're signed, once you're a part of the program, the way that you become a commodity. This is not that different, by the way, from like your first job in the real world when, you know, you're interviewing and people are telling you you're going to do this and this and this. And then you get there and you're in the bottom of the totem pole. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But but you're absolutely right, because, you know, and this is something we've talked about, you know, Nick Saban, the way he builds relationships, not promising playing time, not right. creating some shiny. But that's not how vision. everybody else does it. Exactly. That's not how everybody else does it. I can tell you the food at Wake Forest was delicious. Don't know if the food at Wake Forest would be delicious if I had gone to school there. Wofford had amazing food. Some of the best brownies I've ever had in my entire life at halftime. But, and UNC's food was very good, but then you get there and then it's like you're eating Jerry's cooking and it's just like, oh man. We're, we're going to have, so we're having chicken with pasta and then the next day you take the chicken and cut it up and put it into the pasta. It's not different food. It's the same food. Right, and, and I think, too, there's also the way you get treated by coaches, changes, right? Well, like that's a huge – that's what I was going to get to next is you go from everyone knowing your name, everyone wanting to talk to you, everyone telling you that they really loved the, your game that week to get out of here. Why? You're in the way. We used to have a thing called – and I was talking to a teammate of mine a couple of weeks ago – or maybe a month ago, Jesse Holly, And we used to have a thing called bunting clips, which are, we play for John Bunting. 
and bunning clips were when we had team meetings, it was him calling you out for something you did that was dumb to the entire team. And it was just like, hey, what? and I was on a bunting clip my first week of practice because they just threw me in a drill. I didn't know what I was doing. And they were like, he's like, who's this guy? Number 21, who are you? And I was like, oh, that's me. He's like, what are you doing? But that's the way that like that whole psychology of it all becomes essentially your motivation, right? It becomes, I don't want to get yelled at. If you're not a star player, being invisible is better than making mistakes. And I think that's something that Marcus Williamson kind of not hinted at or hit on, but like it was having them not talk to you was better than having them talk to you because if they're going to talk to you, they're probably, it's probably because you did something wrong. And obviously there's some other elements that come into that with the way that coaches handle race and the way that coaches handle the, not the political climate, but differing life experiences. Like it, it, it's not, and it's, it's interesting to see as we see staffs try to add, you know, add some diversity or, and this is speaks to a larger thing where a lot of times the recruiting coordinator, the recruiting guy, sure. He's a cool young black dude. And then your position coach is not that at all. And so they can get you. But then after that, it's just you with a guy that you don't relate to, but he can teach you football, but you don't relate to him at all. So. Yeah, it was, it, the whole thing was interesting. And again, and there, he had some points about, you know, the going to class after really, you know, your schedules around football practices. And oh, drills. that's that's a whole other like world. That's a whole of, other thing. Like, and I, I was lucky because as someone who was not good and someone who they did not care about specifically, that's actually that's not true. They cared about me a lot. They're the people that got me into therapy. They helped they coach holiday helped save my life. I wouldn't be here today without that. So I do need to make that clear. They did care, but they didn't care if I was at practice or not. So I was able to schedule things that happened during practice because I wasn't that important to practice. But if you're someone who's important, if you're in the two deep, you can't miss practice. You can't miss a meeting. You can't miss those things, which means your major has to revolve around the times that you can do stuff. So you have to get a lift in. You have to go to practice. You have to go to meetings. And if those classes don't fit into that time zone, you can't take them. Yeah, we at Michigan, it was general studies yes. was the major that the football team basically. But it's, it's not just the football team. It's every team. Yes. Well, there were some that did kinesiology, which is very similar, right? right? But if you go but, if you go to any school's athletic website mm-hmm. and pull it up and look at the majors, you're going to see clustering. You're going to see clustering. And it's a clustering that's a combination of classes that fit into that schedule and classes that are largely subjective grading. And because I'm saying this right, correct? Like subjective is the one where you can interpret the grade. You mean like it's an essays versus like exams? It's, It's like there's no right answer if you explain the answer. 
Yes. It's not objective. That, it's not like one plus right, one is right two. Right or wrong. Right. Yes. Right. Subjective grading. That's a yeah. huge. Point. I'm still th- I'm still trying to think of like the type of test or the type of evaluation. But yes, I, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yes. It's because subjective grading can be interpreted into a lot of different things, which allows it to make it easier for people to say, well, well, I was thinking this, or I thought this, or this is what I did, or here's the answer I gave, or I did write the paper, so that should count for something, yada, yada, yada. So I just think that like you're going to see clustering and you're going to see subjective grading on a lot of the, the athletes. And that's just a reality because of practice time, because of the demands, and because they're trying to find a way to make sure that you stay eligible. And, and this is, again, these are things that people don't always talk about and certainly not right as their careers are ending. And so this is and it's, something that was coming out of bowl season because Marcus Williams was tweeting about this and it got other people talking about it. It pisses me off. It pisses me off that people try to discount someone who it's, – it's like you can only have a thing to say about college football to a lot of fans and to even some football media if you are a Hall of Famer. Right, you were the team captain. So your experience doesn't exist because you weren't that good. And I'm like, hey, man, most of us weren't that good. But we had experiences, and they exist. And when I get a, when I get together with old teammates, when I get together with other college football players, I, and I say this all the time, truly, my college experience is more akin to someone who played at Michigan State or someone who played at Arizona State than it is to someone who lived in the dorm next to me at UNC. And I kept trying, like, real-life example. I tried to, my wife's, my, my wife's cousin played at Michigan State. He was their starting left tackle for a little while, and I kept trying to, when he was getting recruited, I, was talk, I would talk to his dad all the time, and we would go through this, and I would be like, it's, this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. He maximized his college education and everything way more than I ever did. But his experience was very similar to mine, and every, in recruiting and going through it, people kept being like, well, he's different or he's special. And I was like, he's not special. And that's the thing you learn when you get there. You're not special. You're not special at all. You're, you're, you're another guy that can help win the football game. And that's the part that's the hardest to process is that you're not special. You're a guy who can help us win. Once you stop being able to help us win, we don't particularly need you anymore. And that's the reality of the situation. I know we want to talk. What do you want to do, Bama, Georgia, real quick? Well, I was thinking, unless you got another last call, I got one related to that. Let's, if you want to get into I'll do, that. I can do a last call on Bama and Georgia. Okay. All right. So so let's get to our last call. It's our segment for ranting and raving, whatever we'd be talking about, 2 a.m. as the bar is closing. My last call is a rant because I'm covering this game, going to Indy in a couple days. I'm going to Indy. it is a rematch. Oh, yes, you are. You're leaving your house. I forgot about this. But I'm, only, I'm so proud of you. It's a day trip. I'm going down and okay. back. Well, Okay. <laughs> Still proud of you for leaving the house for, for a couple hours. Um, I don't love the idea of a rematch of a game that we just saw a month ago. I don't mind like a rematch of a championship game we saw a couple years ago. I think it's very compelling, interesting storylines. We saw Alabama Clemson a million times. Like There were reasons I could talk myself into it. But I don't like the rematch. I don't love that this thing has yet more yet another round of blowout semifinals 
like we all know that I support playoff expansion. I've been covering these playoff expansion meetings endlessly mm-hmm. all season for like eight months now. And it is frustrating because the things that I think college football needs most could be addressed with an expanded playoff. I just think right now to be dominated by a couple of the same teams in the same region is just not healthy and getting Get a rematch better. of that's fine. Other teams can win, but I'm saying if you have a larger pool of teams and you make it more about making the playoff, not about winning it, you don't have teams, you know, you have more than three games that are part of the playoff mm-hmm. and two of them suck every year, right? <laughs> like you yeah. would have more games, you know, the, the, let's say there are two teams that are better than everyone else. If they have first round buys, closer games, more interesting, maybe a hot team that's playing well at the end but had two losses early gets going. Maybe you get better games. It's more interesting along the way. There's 25 teams we're talking about throughout November instead of six. All of those things are important because this is a regional sport trying to go national. Mm-hmm. Like Then if we got to Alabama-Georgia at the end, and it was a rematch of an SEC championship game from two months prior – but we had all these other interesting Ooh, games in the middle. Months. That's a long time. Well, maybe a month and a half. I don't know what the schedule would look like exactly. But you'd have all this other, these other interesting things that happen along the way mm-hmm. and matchups and close games and thrilling finishes. Maybe some of these games are on campus. Like You'd have all of these other games that were part of the playoff that would be compelling. I would feel differently. But right now... We're in a scenario where there's a long layoff, and we got a bunch of fun bowl games. The most fun games were ones that were not part of the playoff. Mm-hmm. We had New Year's Eve games, which we went through last time. Just not fun. Not a great day to play. I love it. And they were both blowouts, which is tough because you, you plan your whole day around them. But I don't know. So, so my, my last call is that this is another example of why the people in charge of this sport really need to talk about expanding – before the contract is up. I know at 2026, we're expecting that we'll have it, but we got a few more years of this and it is just not, this is the best regular season in sports and the postseason is so disappointing and they got to fix it. And there are ways to do it. Even if you still end up with the same championship game where it is much more interesting along the way. You, you, you just talked about how we had these exciting bowl games. The postseason is not disappointing. The marquee event for the sports postseason is not exciting well anyway all right talk me talk me into why this is going to be different because that's where i'm saying i'm saying like we just saw this we just saw these two teams play we know how they match well, up well i'm gonna go backwards to go forwards because here's the thing it's not it's not alabama and georgia's fault that they're playing each other i'm not mad at them it's it's not at the system it's you yeah but the system's not going to fix usc the system's not going to fix Oregon. The system's not going to fix Texas. It's not going to fix Oklahoma. It's not going to fix what happened at Clemson this year. It's not going to fix what happened with Ohio State. It's not going to fix how Michigan got on the field and thought they could just do the same thing that they did against Ohio State and it would work against a team that's bigger, faster, and smarter. System's not going to fix that. And that's what I, at the top of the show, we talked about it, right? Where I said, it's not going to make coaches smarter. It's not going to make them smarter. Just gonna give them an extra bonus that they probably don't deserve because they're idiots. Like it's not, it's not gonna make them smarter. For me, what I think can be different, I have hope. I have a beacon of hope, and it's James Cook. Ten touches, 
144 yards. I had to look, make sure I got the number right. 10 touches, 144 yards. Six carries, four catches. One of those carries in that run game could have gone for maybe 60 yards if that safety doesn't trip him up. I think he can be a difference maker. Now we get back to the problem. Ohio State, or excuse me, Michigan, they showed all they showed their cards against Ohio State. And then when they went tried to go back to the well against Georgia, Georgia ate that lunch. With James Cook, did Georgia show their cards? And now Alabama's going to be hyper-prepared? But then I go back to a thing I thought about a lot. I've talked about it with some friends. If he's, I think he's so good, it doesn't matter. Because what, Henry Toa is going to cover him? Absolutely not. Helms or Battle's going to cover him? You don't want that all the time? Because that's going to be a problem. So I think James Cook could be the difference maker. And by the way, don't get me started. Like, if we're going last call, this is like a last call where like the bar is closing and they are going to have to kick you out because I would talk about Darnell Washington ad nauseum because I, my brain is breaking. When you have a guy that's the size of LeBron James, get him the football. Get him the ball. So there's got to be like... He either has made somebody so mad in practice, he either has a bad attitude, or, and I don't mean to, to, to put him down first, what I'm saying is that there's got to be some sort of weird friction going on where they just don't want to give him the football. Or, maybe, he has an O.J. Howard type game. Remember, O.J. Howard didn't get the ball a lot, and then all of a sudden, Alabama was like, oh yeah, we got this psycho freak right here, we can throw him the football all the time, and he's super good. So, I don't know. I think James Cook is the proven, could be a difference maker. I think Darnell Washington is the wild card. So, that might be the difference here. But at the end of the day, how do you bet against Nick Saban? I mean, that's, 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 that's the reality. I think, like, we're sitting here and we're just like, it could be this. It could be that. It could be this. It could be that. And then it's like... But Nick Saban probably already thought about all that stuff, didn't he? He he, he probably did. Yeah. He probably did. And we've <laughs> given last calls to Nick Saban before, and we may next week. So let's wrap it there. Um, <laughs> Folks, subscribe we'll to The see. Athletic. Theathletic.com yes, slash Nicole. Yes. And thank you for listening to Power Hour. Um, as you said, if you're not already an athletic subscriber, there's a deal, theathletic.com slash Nicole. One True Pod will be on this feed later this week with Max Olson, Jason Kersey, and Sam Khan. They will get more into the Caleb Williams news. Andy Staples, Ari Wasserman, they'll be on the feed later this week, up to their usual antics. And Felder and I will be back next week after the championship game for the next episode of Power Hour. Thank you all for listening.